right, so we're here today with Chris Larson. We, uh, Chris, we were just talking a little bit about uh, our life, our families, our businesses. You know, where we live, what we what we'd like to do in our off hours and stuff like that. Um, you know, I know I think it's super interesting uh, what you've built. You know, some of the things you do on your off hours. So, tell our audience just a little bit of background and kind of you know where you've been, what you've experienced, and then we're going to jump into business and the, the work and the play after that. Yeah, no, we should have shot this live down on the Carolina coast <laughs> in South Carolina last week, Joe. We were what? crossing paths down there. But um, no, uh, so yeah, next level income. We've I've been investing in real estate for for over 20 years now, over half my life. Um, but that's not, you know, I always said I wanted to be an investor, but I have I have two young boys. We're down in Asheville, North Carolina. And I started out as uh racing bicycles. So I was racing bicycles in college and that's all I wanted to do. I want to be a professional cyclist. Um, I started racing when I was 14 years old. I met my best friend that year at, a, at one of the first races I went to. And I was training, I was riding a few times a week and I'm like, well, how, you know, how many days a week do you train? He goes, I train every day. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was like, yeah, like we should get together and ride. We became best friends. We meet every day after school. We live 10 miles apart. So we'd, we'd each ride five miles, meet on this bike path, the BNA canal or BNA trail in between Baltimore and Annapolis. And I mean, when you spend that much time with somebody suffering and, you know, just, you know, talking and during formative years, we built a tight bond, um, raced together. Uh, we were, uh, we're supposed to be college roommates. Um, as I was racing in college, Chris, uh, my friend passed away from a massive brain hemorrhage in between my freshman and sophomore years, the year before he was coming in, into school. Um, so that really was uh, something that totally rocked my world. You know, I was just turned 19 years old. I thought I wanted to be a professional cyclist. I raced another year, I quit and I hit this point and I was just like, totally didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I was a, uh, an engineering student at Virginia Tech. I didn't have great grades after that year, after Chris died. I didn't really want to be an engineer. Now, what I've been doing for six years, cycling to, to become a professional cyclist, I, I decided not to do that. Um, and it was during that time that I said, okay, I need to honor the life that I've been giving, honor Chris's life because he doesn't have it anymore. And I need to get the most out of every day. And I knew to do that, I needed financial freedom, financial independence. So that was really the start of why I got into investing and you know, ultimately built this, this vision for myself. And I, I talk about it in my book, which I'll share uh, with you if you're listening today hey, you get a copy of it well damn man that was one of the strongest leadoffs i think i've ever had i mean <laughs> normally i ask people to talk about either like you know one of their favorite failures or one of the biggest setbacks that helped them propel themselves and i mean that hits home that's 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 strong you know and you know we, we always say that like life happens for you and not to you but i mean you you you've almost been i mean it's a tragic event but you've almost been given this like gift as a reminder for why to go out there and just do it every single day at such an early age too, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, we were talking before the show and just talking about setbacks and different things. And, you know, it, it's hard, you know, in life, you know, we, we have kids as we were talking and you, you don't want them to feel that pain. You don't want them to have those setbacks, but I really think that, you know, those failures earlier in life and those moments, they teach you things. And as I, as I got older, and, you know, people were like, well, why do you do this? Why do you do that? Why do you work so hard? Why do you, you know, spend so many hours racing your bike? And, you know, I just, it didn't really dawn on me. Like, it's just like how I was. And just, I thought everybody kind of felt that way. And, you know, I read a study and it was children that lose parents. I actually, I actually lost my father at age five as well. 
And the study talked about children that lose parents at an early age, they go on to be more successful. And this is, this is a correlated um, variable in this study. And as I thought about it, you know, what kind of really dawned on me was, you know, we're young, we think we're invincible and you, know, you do whatever you want. Time is basically infinite. And it, you know, as a, as a math guy, I thought, okay, if time's infinite, the value of time is zero, right? If you divide mm. something by infinity. So once you recognize that time is finite and you have a finite amount of time on this planet, the value of that time goes up exponentially. And that's what happened to me after Chris passed away, I thought, I can't let an opportunity pass me by. I can't not ask that girl out. I can't not go on that trip with friends. I can't not make money to be able to have that experience or, you know, you know, do something. And that's really, you know, I think that's what to me is what investing is all about is helping people get to the point where they can have the financial ability to live their best life. And I truly believe that, you know, I was listening to a podcast today on the way back home. It was um, Garrett Gunderson. And he was talking about, ah, people say money's the root of all evil. And I think, you know, he was talking about how people, you know, people's behaviors and what they do with it. That's where the evil comes from. And money is just a tool. And he's talking about how money's a tool. And that's how I see it. It's a tool. And if it's used properly, people will live their best lives. If you're not a good person, you have a bunch of money, you're probably going to not be a very good person, whether you have money or not have money. So true. It's just magnifying the person you already are. That's a, oh, that's a great way to put it. Magnify the yeah. person you already are. Yeah. But, but I love that, um, that, that, that time is a gift piece because, you know, we talk about financial freedom piece all the time. Like everyone's chasing and chasing and chasing. They're trying to find financial freedom. But I talk about this all the time is you can't get one minute back. You can't get five minutes back. You can't get a day back. And, and I know that you, you had to have had financial setbacks in your life or you wouldn't be at this point, right? And Absolutely. you can always make money back, right? I, I have lost Absolutely. millions of dollars in, in, the, in the process of making millions of dollars and you can always get that back. You can't get any time back. Yeah. And that's why Absolutely. it's such a gift. Absolutely. And I, was, uh, I was at dinner with a couple of friends last night. Uh, one's a, a, a very prominent neurosurgeon, another executive um, in the medical device industry. And he was, uh, the surgeon was telling me how he, he met this gentleman. Um, I won't kind of say exactly where it is, you know, just to, to be respectful, but he, he was one of the first drug runners for marijuana into the country. This was down in kind of the Southern part of uh, the United States. And the guy gets set up after he, he kind of left this life. He gets set up by a former partner. He ends up spending five years in jail. He gets out his former partners had gone, they'd stolen everything, all his cash from his house. He actually had gold coins from a shipwreck. They stole those. And he had $600 in his bank account, 600 bucks, gets out of jail after five years, has basically nothing to his name. So he calls American Express and says, hey, you know, I, my, my card's inactive. I want to reactivate. And they're like, yeah, you haven't been active here for five years. They reactivate his card. So he's got a line of credit, takes the line of credit, takes a cash advance, buys a house, it was like, I think it was like $40,000, flips the house. In six months, he had $300,000. So my point in telling that story is that, you know, you, you can't buy time back. You can lose money. But once you learn the fundamentals of how to make money and, and do things, whether it's in real estate or business or elsewhere, you can recreate that over and over and over again if you do that. But you have to have, to have the time. 
so, so incredible. And so, and you have, you know, such a diverse background, you have a biomedical degree, I mean, you've done all these different things, but it boils down to that concept that you've just talked about. And so let's talk about next level. Let's talk about what you do today. Uh, me and you do a lot of the same similar type of things, teaching people how to create passive income, passive investment um, to buy their time back. So what does that look like? What is next level? Yeah. So again, you know, kind of talking about my story, Joe, what, what I tried to do is I tried to put together a blueprint. I love legacy blueprint, but same thing. I try to put together a blueprint for people so that they could shortcut the path that I took. So I started off 21, bought my first residential piece of property rental, single family rental, bought a bunch of different single family rentals. I was running those for 15 years. I didn't have a lot of money. My family were blue collar. My mom was an assistant teacher, not even a teacher. My stepfather was a contractor. I mean, I made more money my first year as a professional than both of them ever did combined when, when I was with my parents. But so I needed money. So I went out and I said, okay, how can I, like Robert Kiyosaki said, become accredited. I looked for sales careers because I was, I was in sales since I was like 12 when I went door to door selling newspaper, wrapping paper, and I sold newspapers and um, a bunch of different stuff. But I was like, okay, if I can make a hundred, 200, $300,000 a year, I can save 50% of that. I can invest that. You know, I could do that for 10 years. I'd be, I'd be financially independent. And my, my very simple plan was just pay off those properties that I had and have $10,000 a month coming in, you know, after expenses. Well, I got 15 years into that whole process. So started at 21, I was in my mid thirties and I'm like, this is, this is not working. I was actually about 33 at the time. And I, I started the moving in, into commercial real estate along the way. I did things like set up high cash value, overfunded cash value life insurance policies to use. And I moved from residential to commercial real estate. So what we do today, we focus on multifamily properties, apartments, we do some self-storage, mobile home parks, and we bring in, we do syndications, we bring in investors. Uh, but what Next Level Income, if you go to the website, is all about, it's about providing the opportunity for financial independence through education and opportunities for investors. So that's what our our podcast is about our book. You can get a free copy of our book. Just click on the book link on the website. Um, you know, I have, I have coaching clients as well to do that, but it's all about giving investors the tools to become educated, ultimately getting to the point where they're making more money that they can invest and create that passive income as well. I, I love that. We're going to get back to that. I'm going to, I'm going to take it back a second. I'm probably going to ask you maybe what seems to be an off the wall question, but I think it's so impactful for parents out there. Right. So you have a, a nine and an 11 year old son, right? As we're yep. taping this. And you said at 12 years old, you got into sales. And this is really just an opinion question. And I'm really just, I'm curious to hear your opinion. What do you think drives in us? Right. Is it innate? Like, is it, is it our upbringing? Is it what motivates, like, what motivated you at 12 years old yeah. to go out and start selling? And do you think your boys have that same in, inside of them? Yeah. Oh man, that's a good, oh, that's a good question. Um, that is a bit of a curveball. So me personally, it's interesting. I, I came home from college and I had a Zig Ziglar book and I set it on the counter and my mom shook her head and I said, what? And she said, your, your dad read that same book. I remember him reading that same book. Now, remember I'm in my twenties at this point, my, my father passed away over 15 years ago. So I think there's certainly a genetic component you know, there's nature, there's nurture. Um, and what's interesting is my parents didn't really push me they didn't really push me to go into a certain sport. They didn't push me to go get a job or make money, but they were passively supportive, if you will. So for instance, yeah. my stepfather, 
I'm like, Hey, like I didn't, I never wanted to work like a regular job. Like my friends would work and they'd make five or 10 bucks an hour or whatever it was at the time. And they'd work 20 hours a week after school. And I'm like, that's stupid. Like you can go yeah. make more money. So I collected trash from the, the neighborhood, the wrapping paper I was selling. I got something in the mail. I don't know how I found out about it, or maybe it was something like with school. And, you know, I go to sell wrapping paper, like door to door and people are like, Oh, like, is this a school fundraiser? And I'm like, no, it's not. I'm just selling it because like, I want to, I want to buy this or take this trip or, and they're like, I think they just thought, well, you know, holidays are coming up. I'll buy wrapping paper from this kid. He seems like he's motivated to do something. Um, but my parents didn't give me a lot Joe, So I had to make money to, to go do it. My stepfather, he'd come back. He was a contractor around Annapolis. He'd, you know, work on million dollar homes. And he's like, Hey, this person needs like their leaves done or their lawn done. And he'd say, Hey, my son can do it. And I, he, he dropped me off over there on a Saturday morning. He'd pick me up Saturday afternoon. I'd come back sat Sunday, ride my bike back. And at the end of the day, he'd show up with his dump truck and we'd load all the leaves, all the clippings, everything. I'd blow everything off and I'd charge him 300 bucks. And, you know, so I'd make <laughs> three, four, $500 in a weekend, which was way more than my friends were making. Sure. And so again, I was, but my, my parents never pushed me, but I always had for whatever reason, you know, that, that drive and that work ethic. And when I found cycling, yeah. it was the same thing. I'm like, okay, I need money to buy a new bike. And people are like, oh, I wish I had rich parents that could buy me these bikes. I'm like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, my parents don't buy me stuff. And I'm like, my parents don't buy me stuff either. You know? Um, so when it comes to uh, my boys, my, my older son, Ethan, he's 11. He's, he's got this tremendous drive inside him when it comes to athletics competition. Um, my younger son, Miles, he's more the thinker. He's very uh, thoughtful. He's very patient. He'll sit and put together Legos for hours. And he understands, he's like, oh, I'm not going to do that because that's not good for me, or I need to do this. And he kind of puts a process together. So they both have different aspects of me. Um, and I'm trying to foster, you know, things that, that they're passionate about, but also I, I teach them to question authority. I teach them to ask questions, think about different things. And my older son really likes to ride. He wants to start racing bike, bicycles and I'm kind of holding them off a little bit. I know how hard that is. Um, but then one of the things we do when it comes to money, for instance, we were down in Charleston, South Carolina last week, and we have an acquisition that we're about to close on down there. We, we drive over there and they know. Where gets we start to get close and i said all right boys put down the books or the ipads stop the music and i said start looking around like tell me what you see and like why is like what and my younger son he's like oh you know there's there's like a best buy or oh there's a whole foods and this is a good area because of this and that and i'm like okay what you know tell me why else this is a good or a poor area to you know to invest and then we drive on the property we get out we walk the property you know they and they understand and my older son's like i want to be an investor like you dad I'm like, well, how are you going to get money to do that? And, you know, we start that un unfolds all these questions. So hopefully I can, you know, provide some of that, that nature nurture. Um, I should say that nurture to kind of encourage them to move in a path while letting them find something that they're truly passionate about. Yeah. I love it. I love it. It's interesting too, because um, the, our listeners, a lot of most of our listeners know that like I have two daughters that are almost identical in age. I have an eight and 11 year old. And uh, it, it's crazy to see, how much different two children can be, right? So and my kids are oh, very man. similar, very yeah. different. And yeah. um, I, I love seeing the dichotomy. I, I, we had very similar kind of upbringings too. It's, I was, I, I grew up on, on a construction site. So my dad was a general contractor. So I was a, I was a blue collar hard worker. The funny thing is I recall 
thinking I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I kept like waiting for it to be my time. If that makes any sense. Right. I worked and I always worked. And like, I was washing dishes when I was 15, but like, I, I remember being 15, I had the, the Carlton sheets, three ring binder, right. Oh, with, yeah. the, with the, with the cassette text in it. And, oh, all yeah. that thing. Absolutely. and, and, and yeah. my dad would be like, what are you, what is that? What are you doing with that? And like, meanwhile, 15? Like, you were 15, 15 with that. Wow. 15. That's, that's pretty yeah. cool. 15 yeah. with that. And, and like, I would, I would listen, listen to the cassette decks and my dad who owned rental properties at that point, we'd be like, ah, you know, what are you doing with that thing? But meanwhile, I kept thinking like one day, one day. And, and if I look back, you know, I, I wish that, you know, maybe I had done stuff. I don't wish I'd done it differently because I, I like the progression that I mean, I think everything happens for a reason, but it's funny. I listened to these guys that when they were 12 and 13 had these like entrepreneurial ideas. I just tried to work my butt off. I never, I never thought I could yeah. like do something bigger than what I was doing, you know, um, at the time. So it's interesting to hear everybody's different journey along the way. Yeah. Now I, I remember, that. I mean, I, my, that's, that's a part I left out. Like, Man, I remember July shoveling shingles off a hot roof and oh, laying, laying, uh, you know, tongue and groove flooring and um, yep. all these things. And same thing, you know, growing up in a blue collar neighborhood. I mean, getting like things like getting beat up on the way home from school. You're like, okay, yep. Yep. it's like I don't really want to do these things when I get older, and yeah, I don't want to be that. And you look around and you start to pick up little things. Um, yeah. And again, I'm I'm thankful for those experiences because you, you they have an imprint on you. And uh, you know, yeah. Fortunately, you know, we have the, we've had the, the opportunities to, to move beyond that. Yeah. I'll probably take a ration of crap for this, but you know, not that anyone needs to get bullied over a long period of time, but I, I don't think that uh, a, a fist fight here and there at the end of the world, I think getting punched in the face for once in a while, you know, is probably decent for us. Um, I think it's important, especially as kids uh, that I think we're eliminating that from society, which is like a real problem. You know what I mean? Um, no, I look, I agree with, I agree with you, Joe. And you know, if, if you get, if you get some, uh, some, some shit for that comment, excuse my language, you know, yeah. it's, I, I would, I'll take it. I'll take some of it too. Cause I think, you know, what I've noticed is I think the earlier in life we experience hardship, the easier mm -hmm. life is after that. And I, I was listening to, uh, I thought it was one of the best, um, interviews Joe Rogan's done, uh, with the founder of black rifle coffee company. And it's, you have to listen to it. I don't know which, if anybody's listening, they, they like or not like um, Evan Hafer, but, you know, talking about, you know, Joe was talking about how there's, there's a large portion of society today that has never endured any hardship or, mm -hmm. you know, any real, you know, real, um, you know, challenge in life. And I think you can now look, you can experience that different areas. You can experience that in sports. You can suffer on a bicycle. You can get, you know, beat up on the way home from school. You can, I mean, there's a lot of different things. And if you're listening, you're probably shaking your head thinking like there's some, there's some bad things that a lot of people have gone through, yeah. but as humans, we're, we're capable of getting through those things. And it's not always the best thing to shield our children from every single thing out there, totally. in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not keeping score until they're 12 years old. I'm a, I'm a massive, massive ad, uh, against, against that <laughs> uh, rally against that. Yeah. There's a lot of things. I, I the one analogy I use is uh, my, uh, my eight-year-old uh, from the time she was born until she was four years old, uh, she was constantly sick. And it took us three years to realize that um, because she couldn't, uh, she had early, um, uh, developmental uh, issues with speaking. She actually didn't really speak until she was like three years old. Uh, now, now we can't get her to stop talking. Um, but um, she would constantly develop these uh, urinary tract infections and they would show up looking like flu symptoms. And so she would constantly be sick. 
And we couldn't figure out why. Well, it turns out she had a bad kidney. And so this wow. kid was sick nine months out of the year for four years wow. and eventually had her kidney removed. And now she is like the most resilient and sweetest. And like, you know, she just, she's almost bulletproof. Like she can be in any scene, she can deal with stuff. And it's because yeah. she was in hospitals and doctor's offices and needles and this and that, and, you know, had, had, you know, um, just so many things done to her when she was such a young age. And I look at that and I think, man, most of us, I'm, I'm 40 years old and I haven't gone through as much as this kid, knock on wood, has gone yeah. through before she was four. Right. Oh. And, you know, I know there's, trust me, there's kids that have gone through way, way worse than that. I'm not comparing things like, you know, I'm not comparing apples to apples here, but you know, that adversity, I believe is really at, at times, it's just such a defining uh, character, uh, definite uh, defining moment for, for some people, um, just like getting into a fist fight or losing a soccer game and coming back and having to learn how to win. I think it's yeah. very, very important uh, as far as yeah. us defining who we are as people and, and, yeah. and, and going forward. Now it's so important. My son, uh, older son, they're both lacrosse players, but my older son, they went to uh, the championship game in this tournament, the last and uh, the last tournament they played in the spring. And they got beat. They got beat pretty badly. And he was just like, you know, he's really, really disappointed. And I was, I told my wife, I'm like, this is good. Like it's, it, I, I think it was good that it happened when it did instead of, you know, to kind of see that yeah. early success. Cause I'll tell you what, Joe, uh, I, I remember all the early losses. I yeah. remember, you know, getting, getting beat at a game, you know, losing a race or you know, what it was. I remember those actually a lot more than the wins. And the one that sticks yeah. out, I lost this Pinewood Derby because we didn't put graphite on the axle. And I was so upset. And I just remember those little things. And it just drove yeah. me. And then push, you know, you push and you push and you push, you know, versus you win early. And then it's like, eh, maybe it doesn't mean as much when you when you get those wins. So it's it's a complicated topic, but um, it sounds like we're on the same side uh, yeah. of the opinion when it comes to that. Yeah. So talk about, you know, talk about maybe some big wins that you have going on right now in, in the business and, and what, what you guys have experienced recently. You're in the multifamily syndicated space. Yeah. You guys have taken down some probably some pretty incredible deals, I would assume in the last couple of years, you've been doing it for a while. I mean, what's it look like? What do you see as the landscape of that, of that business right now? Is it getting too saturated? Are there some good deals out there? Obviously, I don't know if you could talk about the Charleston deal. I don't know if it closed yet or not, or where you're at with that, but. Yeah, it'll probably it be closed like? by the time this airs. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, a big thing for me, I left the corporate world after 18 years in, in the med device industry about six months ago, a little, you know, kind of at the beginning of this year, 2021. Um, and just to devote all my time with next level income and, and doing that. And we got to a point where we had enough passive income coming in that I need, didn't need to do that anymore. And there were some other little life things that we wanted to check the box on. But uh, as far as the syndication space, last year was tough. We did a, we did a couple of deals um, and then we had a big gap, you know, as the election came, the new year ticked over and um, there was kind of a real lull. Uh, we've had a really good year, a lot of great acquisitions. Uh, really excited about the Charleston deal in particular. It's an $86 million property. Uh, that we're buying nice. 350 unit deal. Yeah, it's um, 2018, 2019 vintage, but where it is in the market, it needs about $6,000 a door is what we're putting into it in terms of you know, finishes. So we're gonna redo the kitchens, the finishes, the flooring, that sort of thing. Um, beautiful property, beautiful exteriors, but you know, when it was planned five years ago, they kind of missed out on that. So we've been really fortunate. I work with a terrific team. We have a great acquisitions team that, that works. We have uh, great financial team that 
that puts uh, lending and does the underwriting. Actually, my partner that, that handles that side is, is down there in Charleston. So he knows that market really well. First multifamily deal I did back in 2014 was in Charleston as well as an LP. So I have a little mm. bit of a soft, soft spot in my heart. Um, but when it comes to you know, what, what we're seeing in, in the market today, Joe, you, know, you could buy almost anything between 2010 and 2015 and just make money mm-hmm. hand over fist. Um, almost, I say, because I've seen some not so great deals around that same time period as well. Things have become sure. more and more competitive. Cap rates have compressed. Uh, we have at least two, three times as many LOIs, offers that are going out to get a single property today. So, I mean, like right now, I think we have a half a dozen LOIs out and we may or may not get any deals from that. Um, going into the latter half of the year. So, you know, we stick to, we stick to our pricing. We stick to what we think is going to work in those markets. And when we get a deal, we know it's a good deal and it's going to work for investors. Um, we're, we're very fortunate. I think, you know, I feel very fortunate. My investor base has doubled, you know, in the course of the past year or so. Um, I think my story, you know, leaving the corporate world, a lot of people kind of were like, oh, this is like, this is like a real thing. <laughs> you know, going on here. And it's funny because the question I, I've gotten a lot over the years, Joe, is, well, when did you start doing real estate? You know, and I said, well, I was doing this way before I was doing med device sales. So sure. I started my first career, med, my first f- official role in med device, I think I was 27. Um, so, and I bought my first property at 21. So I already had, I already had six, or, six or so properties by the time I even became, you know, a professional out there. So, you know, that was, that was kind of the, the plan all along. Um, so where the future goes, we're going to continue to grow the portfolio. We're about a half a billion dollars of assets under management. The team we've built is well-equipped to handle twice that, three times that. Um, and one of the things that we've done, we just launched a self-storage fund. So we recognize the value. I mean, you've, I think you're in a terrific niche because, you know, one of the differences with multifamily versus self-storage is about two thirds, three quarters of multifamily, even 80, 80 plus percent in, in certain segments are in, are managed by institutions, large players in the market. There's still a lot of mom and pops and self-storage. There's still a lot of inefficiencies that are there. So that's why it's so competitive. We have, we have some strategies that, that work really well in the B plus class A, even luxury properties that we purchase, but you have to execute on a very tight timeline. You have to be very precise with what you do. There's just not a lot of wiggle room when it comes to things. So we're, we're buying higher quality assets you know, with higher income residents that are in there. And that's been the strategy that we've moved into from basically affordable or workforce housing where we started over five years ago. And would you say people who are just getting into the syndicated space at this level, if you had to kind of start from today, um, Mm -hmm. do you think you still have to be in that C-class workforce housing to get started at this point to keep yourself in the competitive space? Is that that kind of where you have to start? You know, that's a... That's a good question. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's even harder in the C and B minus asset class, you know, the seventies, eighties vintage properties today, because cap rates have compressed so much that I, I just personally, I don't think you're compensated for the risk in those properties because you can pay 50 less basis points. So on a cap rate, so like, mm-hmm. let's say you're paying, you're getting a 5.5% cap rate on a, you know, a C cl- uh, class property. And we're paying four and a half or five percent in a B plus or A class property. I, I just don't think that makes sense to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if you're getting into that space, you need to find an area that you have some sort of unique ability or some sort of competitive advantage. If you're just bidding on the same 
you know, 1980, 1985, you know, value add properties, everybody else, somebody out there is probably willing to pay more money than you. We're seeing a lot of that. Um, so I think it may even be worth looking at other areas in the market. I think senior housing is one that is not looked at enough today. I think we're going into a real crisis over the next 10 years when it comes to that. Um, I tell new investors, so if you're listening and you're like, ah, where do I start? I was just talking to a new investor yesterday, a young guy and said, hey, look, fix and flip, like buy a house, move into it, flip it, um, or Airbnb short-term rentals. So if you can buy a house and rent out your basement or you know, put an apartment over your garage, I mean, I know many, many people that are making five figures a month with not that many properties and paying all of their expenses in short-term rentals. So, you know, mm -hmm. don't, you know, don't be afraid to look at other areas and potentially, you know, pivot a little bit from those. And I'm, I'm agnostic when it comes to opportunities out there. I love multifamily, ton of money of my own money in multifamily, lots of the deals that we do, but I think there's a lot of opportunities in other areas too. Love it, man. All right. So last question for you. What would you say is the best advice that you've ever gotten? We all have mentors. What's the best thing you ever heard in, in business life in general? It's the best advice you ever got. Yeah. Um, and probably advice that I didn't take. So Ray Alcorn, he wrote one of the, one of the books on commercial real estate. Uh, he told me, I sat down with him when I was in college and he goes, go, go learn how to manage a property. And so I think, you know, whatever you want to do, learn how to be the boots on the ground. You know, what is it? Dirty jobs. You know, you see the boss undercover. Like, I love that. Like you need, yeah. you need to know what the people on the ground are experiencing and what they're doing before you move up the food chain. So learn by doing, if you want to be a leader, you need to learn by doing first. Such good advice, man. I, I you know, we develop self-storage opportunities now and there's no way that I would have the confidence and the ability to, to, to move forward and take investors money and do what we do. If I hadn't started out hanging drywall and sleeping floors 30 years yeah. ago, like there's just it no makes, way. So yeah. No, it makes such a difference. And, and there's, there's not a lot of people that can straddle that Joe, like what, you know, yeah. you know, yeah. it's like, if you can, if you can do that, if you understand how to swing a hammer and you understand how to talk to an investor who's willing to put a million dollars into one of your opportunities, you know, that's, I, I think that's a, that's a fairly unique skill set. Yeah. Fantastic. Cool. What did I miss? What did I forget to ask? Um, I don't, if I didn't mention it, I told you at the beginning, I'd tell you how to get a copy of my book. So next level income, um, it's a, it's a nice quick read. You can read it on a flight, read it in a weekend. Um, we also have an audio book. If you go to nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link, you can get a free copy. I'll even send you one if you put your address in. Awesome. And we'll make sure to put the link in the show notes. Um, Chris Larson, thanks for joining us, man. Great interview, tons of value. I know the listeners are going to get a lot out of this episode. As always, guys, if you do, make sure you leave us a five-star review. Make sure you share it. Tag Chris and I in any shares that you guys put on your, on your social media wall. Where do they find you on social media, Chris? Uh, do a lot on LinkedIn. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Um, not a big, not a, not big on Twitter yet, but you can find us on out there. Just search for me, Chris Larson with an E, nextlevelincome.com. Cool. We'll make sure we tag you there as well in the show notes. Chris, thanks again for joining us, brother. Appreciate you being on. Joe, it's been great. Thanks, guys.